All right, good morning, everybody. Good morning. morning. Here we go. I'm Tim. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Two Rivers, and I'm glad we're together here, this room and some other rooms, some other campuses, um, one church. We're we're all together sharing as we open up God's Word today. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to open up God's Word. We're going to expect Him uh, to speak to us. Hopefully, God's been speaking to you. They're just talking about that in that video, how we believe that God is speaking to us. Hopefully, there's just been moments in this morning, in this service where God is already speaking to you, we're gonna, we're gonna continue to listen for him to speak through his word and in our hearts. I want you to have something in your, in your mind to ask you a question, think about something. Um, are you the kind of person who likes to know what's coming or do you prefer to be surprised? Like, um, not just for Christmas, but for Christmas, do you wanna know what you're getting? Like, you wanna ask for three things for Christmas because you know you'll get those three things and you don't have to worry about getting something you don't want? Or are you the kind of person who's like, that would ruin Christmas for me, I just... I don't want to know what I'm going to get. Even if it's something not exactly what I wanted, it's better to be surprised on Christmas morning. I think there's, you know, there's kind of two kinds of people that way. And it's, like I said, goes way beyond just, um, just Christmas. Like that, that kind of way of looking at life. Do I want to know what's coming or do I want to be uh, surprised? There's pros and cons to both of those things, I think. I, I, I think I'm kind of I like one foot in each camp. I like to know what's coming maybe as long as I don't have to be totally responsible for it. Like, you know, like... Um, you know the difference between going on a trip as a kid and as an adult? If you're a kid, you don't know the difference. But just trust me, when you're an adult and you go on a trip, you have to plan everything. You have to decide, when are we going to run out of gas? When do we need to stop? Where are we going to stop? What are we going to have to eat? Where are we going to stay tonight? Did somebody make a reservation for the hotel? You have to figure all that stuff out. And if something goes wrong, you have to solve the problem. When you go on a trip as a five-year-old, you get in the car you have no idea where you're going. Like, you don't know if it's a 30-mile trip or a 3,000-mile trip. You just get in the car, go, we're going on a trip. There's snacks. And so somebody else got the snacks and put them in the car. You didn't have to worry about the snacks. It's wonderful. No five-year-old worries. Is there going to be room in the hotel tonight? You know, It said three stars, but is the bathroom going to be clean enough? No five-year-old has to worry about that. Somebody else is taking care of it. It's kind of a beautiful place to be, you know? This, this, um, this passage we're going to look at today, actually this whole series we're in, is about what's coming. God wants us to know what's coming. And so that's what we're doing. It, it, we're in this series called The Next Christmas, looking at the last part of the book of Revelation. In fact, um, this week we are in the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22. And so that means next week we'll start a new series on the maps of the Bible. That's a joke that you only get if you know that they used to make paper Bibles that had maps in the back. Um, and now we're getting there. We're not. We're actually continuing this series next week. Don't worry. We're, we're, we're not going to cover the whole um, last chapter of Revelation 22, so, so we'll come back to that next week. Be here for that. But we are in Revelation 22. You can turn there. You can have that in front of you. Um, in this series, we've used this idea of the next Christmas as... Uh, as synonymous with the, the second advent. So as, you, as you've heard this morning, we're in the season of advent, of, of, of looking forward to the coming of Christ as, as, as we look back to the first coming of Christ at Christmas, but also to the second coming of Christ. Um, and it's a day that points us to our future, to what's coming, um, to, as you've already heard in this series, a, a resurrected life, a real, a real resurrected body with the resurrected real Jesus on a resurrected new real earth. That's what we're looking forward to. 
And where we pick up this week in Revelation 22 is a continuation of the vision that we were looking at last week. Started John, John has this vision. An angel appears and reveals this vision to him in chapter 21. It carries on to this part of chapter 22. And in 21, it was a vision of this city, right? Um, this city, the new heaven, new earth, and this city that comes down. And it represents a people and a place, God's people living in the new heaven and the new earth with him. And that's where we pick this up in Revelation 22, verse 1. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the, str- uh, the, middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp, no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, the angel to John, and he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. This vision was given to John to show the servants of God, that's us, that's his people. This, the book of Revelation starts that way, speaking to the servants of God. It ends that way, speaking to the servants of God. It says, sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. God wants to show you what's coming. He wants you to know what's coming. He wants you to, um, to know what's going to happen. That's what we've been trying to understand as we've studied Revelation. But there's a tension in that. Here's what's hard about that. It's that we talked about this last week, like that we should set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. It comes from Colossians 3. But the reality is, I still have to deal with everything that's happening now. And I feel this tension of how am I supposed to set my mind on things above and on this picture of what's coming when all of the earthly stuff, and some of it like really good, really important stuff, but that stuff is standing right in front of me, shouting for my attention every day. Like, I mean, as soon as you walk out of here, the stuff today will be demanding your attention. How do I think about those things and live in the current moment I'm in? I think the picture that we get, this angel revealed to John, he passed on to us, that picture of heaven, of what's to come in this passage will actually help us sort out how to live today. So here's, here's the big idea of this passage. The thing that I just go, if there's one thing you're gonna catch this morning in our time together, you'd get it. It's this, that the next Christmas brings a life forever dependent on God. That's what, that's what this second coming of Christ brings. Like as we look to the second coming of Christ, to our, our resurrection of everyone who's in Christ and what comes beyond that, it brings, it's, what it is, is it's a, it's a life forever dependent on God. Now, let me say a couple things about that. Um, First, when I say a life, I'm not just talking about being alive. We've talked about this a little bit in this series, but it's important to get. Sometimes we think about eternal life means being you're alive forever. That's true, but it means a lot more than that. It means having a life, living a life for all eternity. Um, People say, get a life, 
as an insult for a reason. Because being alive but not living a life is terrible, okay? That's why they say get a life. It's an insult because it's not, it's one thing to be alive. It's a whole other thing to live a life. And that's what we should have in our mind is a picture that we get in this passage of living a life forever. And the second thing is this. Um, I think that sometimes when we imagine what eternity will be like, we sort of unconsciously drift towards uh, really the opposite of, of what it is. We have a tendency to, dr- to sort of drift towards a, a, a me-centered version of heaven, like, um, like a, a backwards view of it, that it's centered around me. Um, you know, you start to imagine, oh, what will heaven be like? And it's, it's just easy to go. Like we were having a conversation in our small group about this. And like, oh man, it'll be everything I always wanted. You know, like everything, everything in heaven will be perfectly suited towards me. You know, I'll have an ocean view and a mountain view. You know, somehow those will both will be right there. And when I go out to my mailbox, it'll be like a giant Pez dispenser. You know, like the, the whole top of the mailbox will tilt back like this. But instead of a giant piece of Pez candy coming out, a Chipotle burrito will come out from underneath it. And I can just grab one any time and eat it. And it doesn't matter how many I eat, I'll never gain any. You know, we start to think like everything in heaven will be perfectly oriented towards everything that I love. That's not the picture that we get in this passage. Instead, um, instead we get something very different. Remember, we already learned in this series Mark was talking about this last week, that that the forever heaven, the place where we'll spend eternity with God, is a resurrected heaven and earth. It's it's like a city where we will live in God's presence together. And so Mark was making that point. It's a real place. We don't get our own personal heaven. Instead, we live with other people for eternity in the presence of God. It's a place where finally we recognize our need to live dependent on him for all eternity. It's a forever life, it's a life, dependent on him. We'll depend on him, a world that is, that is centered on God and everyone who's there understands that. So the imagery we looked at last week brought to mind um, the Holy of Holies. Remember, Mark talked about this city coming down from the heavens, and, uh, and it was four square. It was the same on every side. It's like the city's like a cube, and it was a reminder of the Holy of Holies, which was where the people of Israel would have remembered. That's where God's presence resided. And the imagery in this passage, you may have noticed, goes back even further to the Garden of Eden, the, Garden of Eden, the first place that people experienced the presence of God. It goes all the way back there, and there in the garden, Adam and Eve were intended to be dependent on God, right? That's where the whole story began, was people created to be dependent on God. It seems that that's the way God meant it to be from the beginning and forever. So um, what we see as we look in this passage, the first thing, I'm just going to hit on three things. The first thing is this. God continues to provide all of our needs. In the new heaven and the new earth, God continues to provide all of our needs. Just like in the Garden of Eden, here we see there's a river running through, but this time not the garden, but running through this city. Um, verse 1 calls it the river of the water of life. It says it's bright as crystal and it's flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And so it's reminiscent of Genesis chapter 2 where there's a, there's a river flowing out of the garden. It also would have brought to mind for, for the person who, who first received this probably, um, this vision that Ezekiel has. Mark mentioned this last week too. Um, Ezekiel 40 to 48, maybe you went and looked at it this week. It's a vision that Ezekiel received. It's in the Old Testament. 
Um, hundreds of years uh, before John was alive, Ezekiel received this vision, very similar to this, where an angel showed him uh, uh, the restoration of the city of Jerusalem and the temple that was there, and it was a picture of what was to come. And specifically in Ezekiel 47, he has this vision of the city and a river coming out of it. And sometime, go read it, Ezekiel 47. It's, it's, so, it's just a beautiful picture. It's, it's the same idea, this river of the water of life. And he stands outside the city walls with this angel and he, and he sees water trickling from underneath the city walls. There's no river in Jerusalem, but it's this picture of how things will be. The water is trickling underneath, underneath the city wall and going out to the east. And the angel takes him about a quarter mile down the road and the water's ankle deep. And then he go about another quarter mile down the road and it's knee deep, another quarter mile and it's waist deep, another quarter mile. And he says, you can't cross it anymore. It's become a raging river and it flows all the way east down to the, um, the Dead Sea. Now, most of us have never been to the Dead Sea. I've been there. And if you've been there, it makes the next part of the vision just, uh, just pop for you. Because what happens next for Ezekiel is he goes and he sees the, wa the water of the Dead Sea is transformed. The, the water of the Dead Sea, I don't know if you know, if, if you're like me before I went there, all I knew was it's really salty. It's so salty, you just float in it. I've been in salt water before. This is like that, but saltier. It's way more than that. We're on the bus on this tour getting ready to go to the Dead Sea. And the tour guide starts warning us, when you get in the water, do not splash around. Don't splash around. Do not put your face in the water. Don't try and go underwater. The water has so much salt, but all these other minerals in it that it's, it's caustic, it's toxic. Like if you get it in your eyes, it will, it will damage your eyes. I, we were in the water. I didn't listen well enough. I splashed a little bit. I got one drop, I'm telling you, one drop of water on my lip, but not inside my mouth, just on the outside of my lip. I was careful. I didn't lick my lips or anything like that, but just touching the skin on my lips, it burned, okay? Um, they call it the Dead Sea because nothing can live there because that's the way the water is. And in this vision, the, the, this, water of the, of, uh, this river of the water of life flows from Jerusalem down into the Dead Sea. And when it gets there, it says it be, immediately becomes fresh water. It just transforms what is completely dead that it just becomes alive. It says there's fishermen uh, lining the shore of the sea. Like, that would never happen. You could never turn that water in, uh, into water that could sustain life. It's different when it's the, water of the, it's, the, it's the water of life that comes from God. And that's the picture that, we meant, that we're meant to have. It's a symbol. Someday will the, will the Dead Sea be fresh water or teeming with fish? Maybe in the new heaven, maybe it will be. But I think the point is that's the nature of this symbol, of this water that's coming through the city in Jerusalem in this picture, in this vision that John has. This idea that everything it touches receives life. It's a picture of God providing everything we need for all eternity. It's a picture of life. Everything that life needs to, to not just survive, but to thrive is pro provided by God. And so there's the river. And then in verse two, it says, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. So there's, there's a constant supply of life-giving fruit. The tree, just like the tree in the Garden of Eden was meant to provide um, abundant and everlasting life. It's, that tree is here and it's providing fruit every month. So we're receiving the life that we need, everything we, see, we need from God. It says the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Like the nations have been healed. 
You don't even, I mean, it doesn't describe exactly what that means, but I feel like you don't even really need it described. Like just that idea that the nations would be healed, that everything in the world would be made right. Everything is healed. No more, no mourning, no more pain. God providing for everything we need to thrive in life. That's the way God always intended us to live. Adam and Eve in the garden were meant to live depending on God. Um, Psalm 23 the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If God's my shepherd, I'm not gonna lack anything. That's the way we're meant to live, dependent on him, him providing everything we need. The first Christmas, Jesus came. How? Dependent. He came as a, as a newborn baby. Dependent. And he modeled as he lived his life. I mean, you pay attention to the kind of life that Jesus lives. The way he talks about his father. The way he interacts with his father. He's living a life dependent on his heavenly father. He's modeling for that, that for us. And he taught us that that's, how we were, that that's how we were meant to live. Matthew 6, he's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't worry about, about their food. They know that God's gonna take care of them. God loves you more than a bird. He says, look at the flowers of the field. They don't worry about what they're gonna wear. Don't worry about, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're gonna wear. God clothes them. He loves you more than he loves the flowers of the field. Jesus said, live dependent on me. And that's what the next Christmas brings, is a life where we experience that even more fully. Can you imagine for eternity? Nothing to worry about. Like a five-year-old on vacation. Where are we going next? What's gonna happen next? Just enjoy it because you don't have to worry about anything. The second thing we see as we go further in that passage, God's presence is tangibly with us for all eternity. Like tangibly with us, God's presence. Just like God's providing for us, this is the way it was always meant to be. In the garden, God was present with his people. And it's there that we see this pattern emerge of people rejecting God's presence because they want to reject their dependence on him. God's presence means we depend on him. He provides for us. And people, beginning with Adam and Eve, rejected their dependence on God. They chose independence instead. They said, God, we don't want to depend on you and your presence. Instead, we want to choose what's right and what's wrong for ourselves instead of having you do that. And so they were removed from the, the garden. They were removed from God's presence and they faced life based on this broken pattern of human rebellion. And from that point on, the story points us towards this reality. God keeps trying to, that we were meant to live in God's presence. God keeps opening the door, calling the people of Israel back into his presence. He takes them out of Egypt and into the wilderness, and he's a, a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, reminding them that his presence is there with them, but they can't stay with him. They continue to walk away and then come back and walk away and come back. And that's the pattern that we see throughout the history of humanity. And then comes Christmas and Jesus was born. God in human flesh. God bringing his presence in a new way among the people of earth. John 1, 18 says, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made him known. So he's talking about Jesus and he says, Nobody's ever seen God. But the only God, the, the one God who is, Jesus makes him known. And so we experience, mankind was able to experience and understand God in a new way because Jesus came and walked the earth. And Jesus is fully God. But 
As he says, no one's ever seen God. We still don't see the face of God. That was the experience of the people of Israel, even of Moses. Can't actually see the face of God. If anybody sees the face of God, they'll die, uh, he said. But that's what we get at the next Christmas. This peace. It seems like there's some other peace. Even though in Jesus we know what God is, we see God through Jesus, there's still something of the, the fullness of his glory. That we, can't under, that we can't receive this side of heaven. The overwhelming goodness of being in his presence. There's actually more to understand. And at the next Christmas, that's what we have. It says in verse three, no longer will there be anything accursed. The curse of Genesis three is over. It's done. It's gone. All of that, you can forget about it. There's nothing cursed. The throne of God and the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. Verse four says, they will see his face. Nobody can see the face of God. We'll see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. It's this idea of tangibly experiencing the presence of God, of seeing his face. That, that, um, that, that blessing from the Old Testament that God's face would shine upon his people, that he would turn his face to his people and let his face shine upon them, that we'll experience that in the fullest sense. There's this imagery of like, we don't need the sun. Need a lamp? No, you don't even need the sun. Nothing can live without the sun. In God's presence, all you need is him. Does that mean there won't be any sun in the new heaven, new earth? This is a, this is a picture. It's a symbol of the kind of life that we have, that we'll have. Um, it shows us that God's presence will sustain his people for all eternity. That's what we have to look forward to. God providing his, just his presence there among us, sustaining us, giving all we need for life. The third thing we see in this passage is that humanity reigns with Jesus forever. It comes right at the, at the very end of verse five. It says that, that they, the servants of God, the people of God, will reign forever and ever. And this is a tough one for us to understand because I think it leaves lots of questions for people. You might think about all those other good things of heaven, but we don't often think about what we'll be doing, what it means that we will reign, what will we actually be up to. We all have little crowns and little scepters and little thrones and we'll line up next to Jesus uh, you know, and sit on the throne. Is that what it means to reign? Or does it, does it mean that we'll be bureaucrats in his government you know, doing paperwork for eternity with Jesus? You know? Um, I don't, I don't think it's either of those things. It's helpful to recognize this isn't the only place where it comes up. It's not like, oh, here's one little half of a sentence in Scripture. We go, oh, we're going to reign with, with, with Jesus forever because there's half a sentence there. It really drips in throughout. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. There's, there's, there's glimpses of it in, in the Psalms. Um, in Daniel chapter 7, really clear that God's people are going are gonna to reign with him. The par- Listen to the parables of Jesus through this lens. The kinds of things he talks about, about, about being faithful uh, with a little bit so that he'll um, give you more. About those who are first uh, uh, in, on earth being last in the kingdom of heaven. Those who are last on earth, who humble themselves, being first in the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? It, it, think about that in terms of reigning with him. Paul's letters, he talks about this really specifically in 2 Timothy um, chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, he says, The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. 
died, we'll live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. And I think one, one of the things that's helpful in trying to understand what that looks like is to go back to the Garden of Eden. We studied Genesis at the start of this year, and we saw there in Genesis chapter one, God creates human beings, and he says to them, be fruitful, be fruitful, get to work, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. He said, have dominion. He, He meant for them, from the very beginning, to reign in some way on earth. That was what he wanted people to do. God could do it all himself. That's obvious. But it's also obvious from the very beginning, he wanted us, his children, to join him in the work that he was doing. That in some sense, we're meant to join him, to work alongside him, to, to live out our identity as made in the image of God. He is a creator who reigns over all his creation. And he created us to to join him in that, to create our own things, to be creative alongside him, to, um, uh, to reign alongside him under his authority as stewards uh, on his behalf. So as we learned in the first week of this series, Dave talked about this, we'll have work to do with God forever. And that may come as a shock. They may, that may sound like bad news. You know, maybe to you, heaven sounds like doing nothing. And I understand that. Doing nothing right now, to me, kind of sounds amazing. Um, you know, just to have absolutely nothing to do. But if you've ever done it, I mean, just think about being sick in bed. It's not only being sick that's bad. It's like just being stuck in one place doing nothing for two, three, four, five days, whatever it is. You, like, it makes you feel even worse. There's this sense that, like, you know, doing nothing is great for a day, but for a week or for a month, or for eternity, I'm telling you, it would be torture. We like, we're we're people, we're humans. We like to work on stuff. We like to get stuff done. I mean, if you take some time off at Christmas, maybe you'll take a whole week off. There will be millions of people in America who will decide during that week of vacation with nothing to do to dump 1,500 tiny puzzle pieces onto a table. And they're all basically the same color and they will spend hours accomplishing almost nothing <laughs> just so they can have that sense of doing work, of, of getting something done because it actually feels good. This was hard to do. These pieces look the same, but there's something satisfying about that, you know? Now, what if the work that you were doing mattered to God and he was saying, ooh, I got something for you to do, okay? I want you to go do this today. I mean, and when you do it, you go, God, look, look what we did together. I mean, that sounds fulfilling. That sounds exciting. I don't know exactly what the work will be, but if there's a new heaven and a new earth and there's an earth full of people and there's a whole universe, who knows what else he might put out in the universe that needs some work done, you know? I mean, there's going to be, okay, let's say there's mansions in heaven. Who's going to design those? There's an architect who's like, I don't want to give up architecture for the rest of eternity. Okay, great. There's a job to do. I don't know what it'll be, but God will have work for us to do and that we'll do our work with him. That's the way God will 
always, depend, always meant for it to be, that we would work our, in our lives depending on him, not toil, not the toil of the curse, but instead life-giving work. That's the way we're meant to live now, that the work that we do, whether it's work we're paid for or not, that's not the issue, but the things that we do in our day, the things that we have responsibility for, we're supposed to, we're supposed to take those things as stewards and go, okay, God, we're doing this together. I'm depending on you as I do my work. This is your work. It matters to you, and so I want to do it in your way. We were meant to live that way from the beginning. We're meant to live that way now, and so, of course, we'll live that way for all eternity. So if we go and we just say, okay, so what is what, is, what do we do with this? Like, if I'm supposed to have this picture in my mind of what's to come, then how do I live? With, like, there's gonna be stuff as soon as you walk out the door that's, that hits you in the face. How do you deal with that with this in mind? I think there's just, there's just one application this week. It is depend on God. Just depend on him. Just do that. We don't ignore the, the, the present because we have this picture of the future. Instead, we let that knowledge shape the present. We live dependent on God. That's always been his intention for us. We're gonna live that way for eternity, so why wouldn't we start today? Depending on him to provide for our daily needs. Depending on his presence with us, his Holy Spirit living in us moment to moment. Depending on him as we do the work of our lives knowing it, that we're doing it with him and for him. We depend on God. So um, I want to try and convince you to do something. I'll just be honest. I, I'm going to try and convince you to do something. And some of you are the kind of people who go, oh, there's, there's a to-do from this message. Uh, I'll do it. There's some of you who are like that. There's some of you who are like, that's for somebody else. I can tune out at this point. The reason I know some of you are like that is because that's how I'm wired. And that's definitely who I was. I can remember as a college student, um, I, went to a, I went to a Christian college, great sort of spiritual environment on campus. But if I was, if I was sitting in chapel and somebody said, hey, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to, work, on, to, to, to work on one thing this week. I would have gone, great, okay, but other people do that because I'm just a normal person who lives a normal life. That's kind of the way I thought of myself. So I'm a freshman in college and everybody's signing up and joining and going to these things they had on campus, DSGs, discipleship small groups. Everybody was going. I wasn't going. It was like, I don't know, I'm just not that kind of person. I guess that's the way I thought of it. And maybe you can relate. Like there's other people who are always thinking about God and always talking about God and they're always serious people, and they don't have a sense of humor, and I, I, that's the way I thought. And like, I went to college with guys, bless their hearts, who like, as freshmen in college, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, and they were like, I'm gonna be a pastor. God's called me to be a pastor. And you know what? He probably had. But to me, I just went, well, that's great, but I am not like you, and I can't be serious all the time, and only talking about you know, what the Bible's like, I want to, I want to have fun. I want to joke around and, you know, go to movies, whatever. I just want to be a normal person. I thought there were like two ways, like there, there were two ways of being. And I would just say, if you're like that, you're the person I especially want to convince. Because when I was in college, I started to meet people then who weren't like that. They were normal people. They were like normal, but they structured 
their week and their day and like they really, they did things. I'm not saying they were super disciplined and only, but I'm just saying they took action to try and grow in the depth of their love for God. Like they, they did things, and, but they were also normal people and they could joke around. They actually had a sense of humor and they weren't gonna become pastors. Like they were gonna have real jobs, for, you know, like they were studying, you know, some other field. And, and like, I was like, okay, I, those are the people I wanna be like. I ended up a pastor, that's a whole other story. But I was like, I wanna be like those people. And so I, this is what I'm seeing. Um, if you're the kind of person who goes, I don't know how to be a really um, holy person. I don't know how to be a really good Christian. Great. Don't try and do any of that this week. Just do one thing. Experiment with being dependent. Just experiment with it. Don't set a huge goal. I'm gonna do, do everything different this week. Don't say like, okay, I'm really gonna get on track and I'm gonna really... Follow God this week. I mean, great, do that if you want. But I would say, just go, okay, God, let's do a little experiment this week. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna see what happens if I try and be more dependent on you. Don't try to be more holy. I'm just gonna try and be more dependent on you. Because when you do that, that's a taste of eternity. That's a taste of heaven on earth. It's a little glimpse of it. You're not all the way there yet because you're not all the way there yet. But just start with a little bit depending on him more and more and see what he does. Here's how we can start with that. Let's all try this. Um, let's all try this. Let's just take a moment and ask. This is, this is us taking action with God to see what he'll do. This is an experiment with dependence, okay? Just to say, Jesus, bring to mind one area of my independence. Even if you're like, I, when we do this kind of thing in church, I don't do this kind of thing in church, Okay. Just try it this time. Do an experiment. Let's, I'll stop talking for a minute, okay? For 30 seconds, 60 seconds, something like that. Just go, Jesus, bring to mind one area of my independence. If something comes to mind, jot it down. Let's do that. Okay, maybe, maybe something came to your mind. Um, maybe it was Jesus bringing that to your mind, an area of your life, a way of thinking, um, a habit, uh, something you keep coming back to, uh, something you're ignoring, his, but just a place where you'd say, I think maybe this is an area where I'm trying to live independent of God. And what you can do then is just go, okay, I wanna experiment with that this week. I wanna experiment with being dependent on God, depending on him in that area for that thing with that thought. Now, of course, this all starts with taking a step into the life that God has offered us. That's where all of this begins. This idea of depending on him starts with saying, God, I have to depend on you to live. It, scripture says it's in him we live and move 
and have our being. It's because of him we're alive. And this begins when you go, I recognize that, and I can't survive without you, God. I declare my dependence on you. I give up my independence from you. Recognize that on the cross, Jesus did what I could never do. He conquered death. He conquered sin, even my sin past, present, and future, so that I could live with him now and forever, that I could step into this kind of life. That's what Jesus is calling us to. That's where it begins. If you've never done that, begin that. Declare today your dependence on him. I don't know what the words of your heart are that you want to say to him, but just say them to him. Jesus, I can't do it. I need you. I'm going to give up on trying to make my life work on my own. You got to make it work for me. And then we just grow. We experiment with dependence on him little by little. That's the path that we're all on. So I said one application this week, experiment with depending on God. One next step, okay? One next step is just a tool to help you do that. It's this, engage with God every day this week with the, the live it out, your bulletin. We put this in there every week, one page, five days. Just do that as an experiment, okay? You go, I don't normally do that. Great. Just take it. It's meant to be a daily discipleship tool, a, a little, just a little tool for you to use each day. Maybe you take this thing, God, you've revealed to me a way, part of my life where I'm independent from you. Now I want to use this tool to get me into God's word each day. It just takes a few minutes, but there are some questions in there that will prompt you, that will help you experiment with, God, how, what would it look like for me to be a little more dependent on you each day? So do that, and we'll all do it. Maybe you'll just do it on your own. Maybe you'll talk with some other people about what God's doing um, in those moments, and maybe something huge will happen this week, and maybe something tiny will happen, but it'll be a first little step, a little experiment towards what God wants to do in bringing you to a place of dependence on him. So in just a moment, um, we're gonna get ready to go out the door but before we do that, we want to respond to him. God's been speaking to you during this whole service. So we want, to, we want to lift our voices and we want to respond to him. But before we do that, let's pray together. God, we, uh, we're grateful that you've given us a picture of what is to come, a picture of what we have to look forward to. God, let that draw us forward. Let, let that change the way that we live today, God. With this picture of depending on you for all eternity, would you just use that to, to make us want to begin to live that way now, depending on you, trusting in your goodness, your provision, your presence, and working in everything we do with you, God, for your glory. That's what we want. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.